0: To Ephesians chapter 5. We've just ended a five-week study on Ephesians chapter 5 verse number 18 where we were talking about the filling of the Spirit. And we talked about how that it's possible to know that you're filled with the Spirit because there is an, an up inward, there's an upward, and there's an outward demonstration of the filling of the Spirit. We know it inwardly because God puts a song in our heart. We know it as it goes outwardly because it causes us to give thanks to God and we know it also, as it goes outwardly, uh, the second one was upwardly, but the next one is outwardly, as we think about how we change our relationships with other people. And one of the things that we learned is submission, submission to one another is one of these uh, principles that will help us to, as we go along with our life in the Spirit. Well, as we come down here to verse number 22 in this chapter, we might be tempted to think that Paul is changing gears He's going on to something else as he begins to talk about marriage and the family. But really what Paul is doing is actually expanding upon that last part that we talked about, the outward expression of filling... The demonstration of the filling of the spirit as it goes outwardly expressed in submission to one another. And as we talk about principles for submissive wives, that's one of the areas that we need to learn about in order for us to to have this filling of the spirit. So Paul discusses different areas of submission in the end of chapter five and in the beginning of chapter six, he talks about. Uh, about wives, submission of wives to their husbands and the husband's submission to the headship of Christ. He speaks about children and how they need to be obedient to their parents, submit to parents. And he speaks about uh, the workplace. He talks about that, how that servants are to be in subjection to their masters. Well, as we think about the idea of subjection, well, we, it really goes against the grain of human nature. We, we just don't like to talk about submission to authority, and especially people that are self-absorbed, they don't like to think about this thing about submission, but that is a requirement. So tonight we're going to concern ourselves with this first area of submission, which is the submission of the wife to her husband. So if you'd stand with me, please, we're going to read tonight, beginning in verse number 22, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 22 Paul says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for another opportunity that we have to come and just talk about your word. Thank you, Lord, for these wonderful principles that we learn and how if we put these things into place in our lives, what joy that they bring to us, just a a complete lifestyle change that we really need as we learn these things. Bless our people tonight as we preach. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In these next few lessons, we're going to talk about marriage, and this is particularly pertinent to the subject of filling with the Spirit because anyone who has a marriage that is deficient, And these kinds of principles will find that they're not going to be able to reach the filling that, or the standard of the filling that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have wives that are not in submission to their husbands, and you have husbands that don't take their role as the uh, head of the household and do what God tells them there and accept those responsibilities, It would be very difficult for them to be spirit-filled people. But I want to take up tonight, first of all, the subject of the wife's submission. And we're going to talk about this from three different perspectives. Now, before all of you men jump up and down and say, you will pound it to the wives, your turn's coming. We're going to talk about you next week, but we're going to talk about wives tonight. Now, the first perspective as we look at it this evening is that submission is a Christian principle. We're looking at this submission as a Christian principle. I already outlined in the last message that we have that. Uh, submission is a principle that's set forth in the New Testament. And whether we're talking about a Christian wife or we're talking about any Christian for that matter, we need to learn about the issue of authority. God expects us to put ourselves into submission to the different authorities that he's put over us. One of those authorities is government. We spoke about that and how we're to be in subjection to our government. Another is in our church. We need to be subject to the authority that God places in the church but also, the Bible talks about submission of authority in the family. Now, as I spoke earlier, submission is not an area or it's not a thing that people that are self-absorbed and, and, and folks really don't like to think about. They don't want to talk about being in submission. And today, when we talk about submission of the wife we find that there's a lot of opposition to that principle. We live in a time where we have feminism, we have organizations like the National Organization for Women, and they have put out an all-out assault on the biblical principles of marriage because they've got the idea that when a woman begins to submit to her husband, then that means that the man and the woman are on unequal footing. But the real truth of the matter is, if you know anything about the history of Christianity at all, you have to realize that Christianity actually elevates women. For centuries, men have always degraded women. And when the Bible talks about submission and talks about the family, it never comes from the perspective of inferiority of the wife to her husband. And so when the Bible talks about this, it's not talking about whether a person is smarter, not whether they're better, whether they're more deserving. That has nothing to do with it at all. What he's really talking about here is what is the absolute best way for us to live and to serve God? What is best for mankind? Well, first of all, we can say this about submission, that submission is for the glory of God. If a wife is looking for a reason why she needs to submit to her husband if she's stubborn and if she's rebellious and she thinks that the the husband has no right to ask this and the Bible has no right and Paul has no right and submission to her husband is a demeaning thing. Well, Paul gives us here the exact reason why a wife should do this. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands, your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, of course, that does not mean that the wife submits herself to her husband in the same way that she submits to the Lord, because if that were true, then she would put the Lord and her husband on equal footing. And you can't do that. But what this means is that the wife submits herself to her husband, not primarily for his sake, but because this is for the Lord. Submission is what best fits into God's economy It's best fits God's way of doing things. This is God's command and this is God's design for his people. And what God designs is not always primarily for the individual. Rather, what God designs and what God purposes is, first of all, as we've said so many times before, for his own glory. And that's an idea that permeates everything in the universe whether we're talking about inanimate objects or animate objects, people, animals, whatever it might be, God has created all things with one sense of purpose in mind. First is that it will bring glory to him. And so when God says to submit, we may not understand fully why things are set up this way. And indeed, this may be something that goes against our grain, goes against our human inclinations. But because God says this, then we have to know that whatever God says is holy and just and good. And what God says, when it's carried out, it will glorify him. And in the end, it will always work out better for us. Well, the problem is that when we don't understand these things, that we try to approach the problem with human reasoning. And so we come up with all kinds of ideas why this can't work like it, like God says it will work. Well, I think that a spirit-filled wife, very well understands this idea of submission. But if she doesn't understand and she hasn't come to the place where she really knows what God is talking about, well, throw that out for just a moment and just consider this, that because God said it, that's enough for you to follow it. This is God's command. He says to do it and do it simply because God has commanded And any of us, no matter what we're talking about here, whether we understand what God wants or not or the reasons behind what God says, we always obey without questioning him. And then hopefully sometime later, we will get it into our brains exactly why God has said things this way. But if God said it, we just simply do it, even when we don't understand why. So the glory of God is always the first directive. And that is a Christian principle. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul said, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. The word heartily there means with enthusiasm and confidence that's not found in the attitude of others. And so a wife should obey her husband. She should be in submission to him, not grudgingly. But she does this joyfully because this is the thing that magnifies and glorifies God. And if that's what she wants to do, then she really won't have a problem with whatever Paul has to say about submission. Then we also know that this is a Christian principle because submission is governed by Scripture. Now, we're talking about Christian marriages. And if God talks about this in Scripture, then we do know, I think, that he intends this for all of us. Now, the world looks at it this way. Here's what we think about marriage. Here's our opinion. And people go to marriage counselors and their psychologists and all these folks to give all their different opinions about uh, what marriage is all about. But a Christian never approaches this from the angle and says, well, here's my opinion, unless that opinion has already been checked against the word of God. My opinion is. I want to be always God's opinion as well. And so I'm going to go to God's word. I'm going to look at what God has to say about it. And I'm going to form my opinion by that and not what some marriage counselor, or what some psychologist has to say about these different things. Now, it's amazing, though, that people in churches, they'll read here what Paul says about submission. And then they'll say, oh, but but Paul lived in a different time. Now we're more civilized than they were back then. Now there are new ways that we've found that are much, much better about governing marriage. And you find out that there are preachers that do that. They give all kinds of different reasons why people can get divorced when the Bible is very clear about that. And they come up with all different kinds of reasons why it might be okay. They have their own ideas and opinions about raising children And if that goes against what God says in the Bible, they really don't care because it's their opinion. Well, folks, that is the same thing as saying Paul is right about the substitutionary death of Christ. Paul is right about salvation by grace. Paul is right about justification. But Paul is not right about women. And if you say that Paul is wrong about submission, then you just simply do not believe the Bible. We used to have a lady here a member of our church some time ago, that she didn't like Paul. She didn't like Paul's preaching about submission, and she thought Paul was against women. And so she says, I don't like what Paul says. I don't like Paul. Well, folks, if you say that, you might as well say that I don't like Christ. And you might as well say, I don't like what the Holy Spirit has to say. Because when Paul wrote these things, he wrote them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he had Christ in him, and he was in Christ. And so if you say you don't like Paul, then you might as well say, I don't like God. But people do this all the time, even with other things. And they say, well, Paul taught about the theory of the atonement and he had his own ideas about that. And Paul was real big on this thing of election and predestination. And God and Paul was, you know, really strict about things of Christian living and separation. But I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to put my twist on what Paul says, because my ideas are just as good as Paul. I don't care what it is. If you don't take the Bible exactly like it says and believe that, then you're wrong. You don't believe the Bible. And if you don't believe the Bible, you're in the wrong place when you come to Berean Baptist Church because we're going to stick with the Bible. So we teach this as a Christian principle. And folks, I want to remind you tonight that that all of us right here in Berean Baptist Church, we are in the crosshairs of Bible doctrine and the viewpoint of God himself. And if God's opinions and God's what God says shoots holes in all of my theories, then so be it. We're going to go with God and we're going to stick with the Bible. Now, let's go on then to the second perspective of submission. First of all, it is, a, it is a Christian principle. But then let's talk about submission as a creative principle. Marriage is not a man-made institution. Marriage was ordained by God. And, of course, that means that God has the right to rule marriage. The first marriage, as we all know, was between the first two people And that was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And from the time that God made Adam and Eve, he made them to be together. He took Eve out of Adam and he gave her as his wife. And from that moment on, she was always his wife and she was called his wife. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. So here we see from reading the scripture that marriage was not man's idea. This is God's idea. Of course, that's not the way that the sociologists look at it. It's not the way the evolutionists look at this, because they think, of course, that man evolved and down through all of these eons of time that man was living like an animal. And then one day he just decided that, well, you know something, monogamy seems like a better idea than what I've been practicing. So we're going to come up with this idea of marriage and having one wife. And so uh, the sociologists and the evolutionists think that we came by this thing of marriage uh, by a trial and error method. Well, folks, I want to tell you something, that if you teach kids in school that man came from monkeys, if that's what you're teaching people, then it's no wonder that kids start to act like animals. And we have a whole lot of alley cats out there that don't know anything about marriage and and, uh, monogamy and all these different kinds of things. Marriage was instituted by God. And the order by which God created man and woman are very important to the idea of submission and to this subject of submission. Now, we notice here that man was created first. The order of creation is man first and then the woman. Well, you know, we, we might be tempted to pass that off as being an insignificant thing, except that the scriptures just keep reminding of this over and over again. Now, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more but, uh, th- this idea of the man being created first, God states it over and over throughout the scripture, and He does that for a reason. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. But in Genesis 2.18, God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. Well, it's evident, then, that man was primary here, and the woman was created to be the man's helper. There were all kinds of animals that God made. But there wasn't anything that was suitable to be man's helper. And so God made the woman because he took her out of man's flesh. And that meant that the woman would be on the same level as a man. She would be equal to man. But her job is to be his helper. And so the Bible tells us very clearly that the man was not made for the woman. It's the other way around. The woman is made for the man. Then we also notice from the Scripture that God gave authority authority to the man as the subhead of his creation. In Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So we see here that God gave man dominion over his creation. Well, that wasn't given to the woman. The man was created first. God gave it to him. God created all the animals and then he created man to have dominion over all of these other creatures. So that tells us that man was created with authority and with power. It tells us that man has governance and it tells us that man makes decisions and he is God's delegated authority. Then the scriptures say about the woman that the woman is the weaker vessel. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Peter writes, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Well, that's not a scripture that says anything about a woman being inferior to the man. What it actually is telling us is that men and women are made differently. They're constituted differently. Physically, usually, men are much stronger than women. Men are constituted different than women. So all of these things point out God's intention for man to be the head of the wife. Now, secondly, we can say that woman was created to complement man. Now, let's go back to that thought for just a moment about the constitutional differences between men and women. Women are generally more emotional than men. Generally, they're more compassionate than men, more caring. Usually they're more gentle than men. And man needs that because in those particular areas of his life, he's deficient in those things. And so we need someone to come along to fill in that part that where he, he is deficient. And we know, of course, that, that women, uh, since they're are uh, mothers and, and they bear children, that they're very well suited for that because of this difference between men and women. We all know that nobody loves like a mother loves. I mean, that, that's just the difference that God has made between men and women. So the reason, then, that marriage is the union of two people where God says they become one flesh is because the woman fills in the areas of the man where he is deficient. And that's why I say that she's complementary to man. So it's the wife's job then to support the man and to help him function in this God-given role as the head of creation. And so when you think about that, ladies, you, you will probably write all along, your husband was not perfect until you came along. It took you to fill up his deficiencies. Well, all of this is really wonderful, isn't it? I mean, when God created man and he gave him woman, I mean, everything was hunky-dory. Adam had a wife that he loved. I mean, that was God's gift to him. Eve had a husband that she just adored. And she said to him, you know, you're the only man for me. She really loved Adam. But then something went terribly wrong. And when it went wrong, what it did was to increase the necessity of wifely submission. Now, let's go back to the beginning again, because thirdly, we see here that woman was the first in transgression. Now, Adam was the first in creation, but the woman was the first in transgression. Well, does that make women sinister? And does that make them the cause of all the problems in the world? Yes, of course it does. <laughs> now, actually, all of you ladies can thank the Lord for this, that God held Adam accountable. He's the one that was responsible. And you know why Adam was accountable? Because he's the one that God made the Lord over creation And it was Adam's responsibility to watch out for his wife and make sure that nothing happened to her and to make her strong enough to resist the devil. So God held Adam accountable. Well, the husband's not the subject tonight. We're going to talk about him later. But Adam clearly, according to Scripture, was the one who was accountable. And it was his transgression and not Eve's that caused the fall of the human race. But because man was held accountable does not mean that God... Let Eve clean escape his justice because he didn't I want you to turn to Genesis chapter three for just a minute. We're going to see what happened after Adam ate of the forbidden fruit. God confronted him and Adam tried to lay the blame on everybody but himself. He said, oh, that's Eve's fault. It's the serpent's fault. God, it's your fault. The stars weren't aligned right or whatever, but it's not my fault. Clearly, it was Adam's fault. But then God turned to Eve and he asked Eve, he said, now, what hast thou done? Let's look at verse number 16, Genesis three sixteen. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over you. All of you ladies that have children, you, you know the problems that come with childbearing. I can't even pretend to know what that's like, and I don't want to know what it's like. But more importantly, for our purposes, I want you to look at the last phrase of verse number 16. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, there's the command. And what God has done here, actually, is to intensify woman's submission. Now, she's already under the lordship of Adam. I mean, whether they had sinned or not, the woman was still under Adam. So God turns to Eve and he reiterates this and nails it down even more. He says, your desire is going to be to your husband and he will rule over you. Well, if Adam was held accountable for sin, then why did God make this new stipulation for Eve? Well, interestingly enough, Eve's transgression was a violation of Adam's lordship. And what do I mean by that? Well, Eve listened to the devil. Instead of going to her husband to find out what she should do, she made the decision on her own. She didn't ask Adam about this. And when she did, she involved Adam in her transgression. Now, of course, Adam didn't do the right thing either. But the whole thing started here when Eve stepped outside of God's order of creation. And she made a decision that was not her decision to make, and so she took the responsibility of the man. Now, I want you to hold on to that thought because it leads us into the third aspect of the woman's submission. First, we have Christian principle, we have the creative principle, and thirdly, we have submission as a church principle. Eve stepped outside of the bounds of God's order of creation. She took Adam's responsibility upon herself, and she had no right to do that Ultimately, all of this led to the fall of the human race. And did you know that this is actually the basis for Paul's argument against women taking authority in the church? Those very reasons are what Paul uses to say why women should be in subjection in the church. So according to the scriptures, a woman is not to teach. She's not to preach. She's not to speak publicly in the church because it's the issue of man's authority. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy, of course, is Paul's instruction to a young, inexperienced pastor named Timothy. He gives Timothy some rules about church order, and importantly, he talks about the role of the woman in the church. Now, folks, this is in the Bible. And as I said just a moment ago, you can make up all the rules that you want and decide for yourself whether you believe Paul on these things or not. But when you do, if you choose a different opinion, then you might as well say that the Bible is not God's word and the Bible does not have to be obeyed. But I want you to look here what Paul says in verse number 11 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, I want you to look very closely here at the reasoning for the woman's place. Verse number 13, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. And verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now, do you see what, what Paul is, is pointing out to us here? God intensified Eve's subjection because she usurped Adam's authority. And so now Paul says, here's the basis why the woman must be under the authority of the man in the church. Now, folks, this scripture is about as plain and simple as it gets. This goes all the way back to very foundational principles that are laid down in the very first commands that God ever gave to people. I mean, this is so foundational. It goes back to the very beginning. And Paul says, here's what the reason why we do these things. But what do we have today? Well, we have Baptist churches, many of our Baptist churches that will say, well, again, yes, Paul was right about the atonement. Paul is right about the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. Paul is right about separation. Paul is right about Christian living. But Paul, it's not right. About women speaking into the church in the church. And so there are many Baptist people who say, well, it's okay. Silence does not mean silence. And so it's okay for a woman to give her testimony. It's all right for the women to get up and make the announcements in the church. It's all right for women to lead the singing and lead the choir. But you know what that is? It's usurpation of God's given role for the man. God intensified the subjection of the woman to the man. Now, when Paul says silence here, it is a word that means silence. Now, I know there's some people that they like to make an argument about this. And they say, well, what about singing? Women sing in the church. And if silence means silence, then why can't uh, why do we let women sing in the church? I don't understand why this has to be so hard for people and, and why these kinds of arguments. Because we understand, I think, that teaching and preaching are not the same things as singing. Now, if I say to Joe sitting down here, if I say to Jost now, I would really like for you to come up and sing a special for us, sing a song for us. Jost does not think, well, the pastor wants me to get up and preach tonight's message. He very clearly understands that that's not what I'm talking about. And I don't know if he didn't give up and want to preach or not. If you do, I'll let you do that sometime. But he understands the difference between that. I ask him to sing. He's not going to get up to preach. When I call up another preacher or pastor. And I say, you know something, I'm going away on vacation and I'd like you to come and preach for me. And so he says, yeah, I'll be glad to come in, sing for you. And so he comes to the church and he gets up and time to preach and he starts singing a song and sits down. Everybody here is going to be wondering what happened to the preaching? Well, he knows better than that. I call him and ask him to preach. He knows I'm not calling him and asking him to sing. We as adults, folks, I hope we very clearly understand that preaching and teaching are a totally different thing than singing. So that's why that I don't allow this, that when women get up to sing in the church, I don't allow women to give a testimony before they start singing. Why? Because testimonies are sermonettes and under the authority of God's word. That's not what women are supposed to do. That's prohibited in the scripture. So when the women get up to sing, that's what they'll do. They will sing, but they're not going to do anything else. They're not going to give you a speech. They're not going to tell you stories. They're not going to give testimonies. They're not going to read scripture. Because it's not the woman's place in the church to do that, according to the Bible. So why then do we have all these churches out here that they have women pastors and they have women preachers? What about Joyce Meyer? What about Gloria Copeland? What about a woman right here in Roner Park that's a pastor of a church? What do you think about that? Well, I'm going to tell you what I think about it. They're, they're violating one of the most basic principles that it's laid down in the Scripture. The Bible says that Eve was first in the transgression, and now a woman has no right to violate God's order. This is clear in the Scripture. And so when a woman gets up to preach, she's just signing the devil's guest book. She succumbed to the serpent. Oh, Pastor, that's not politically correct. How can you say things like that in, in the climate that we have today? I don't care. It's in the Bible. And a woman who does this, and you can get mad at me if you like. I don't. I hope everybody hears agreement with me. But you can get mad if you, if you like. I don't care. A woman who does that is a Jezebel. Now, listen to, well, you laugh about it. Well, listen listen to what the Bible says. Jesus' words in Revelation chapter 2. He says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. Now, do you think she named herself Jezebel? I don't think so. I don't think so. Thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess. To teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, you notice something in that verse. Jesus calls her Jezebel and he said she calls herself a prophetess. You know what you could substitute right there because it means exactly the same thing. She calls herself a preacher. She calls herself a preacher and she's a Jezebel. Now, do you know what happens in churches that allow women to preach? It upsets God's order and always, without exception, that is a pathway to deception and all kinds of diabolical practices. If I ask you which churches out there, so-called churches, are the ones mostly that have women pastors and women preachers, what would you tell me? Probably you would say the charismatic churches, wouldn't you? Because that just happens to be true. Most of them are found in charismatic churches. Well, what is the charisma? Well, I think according to Scripture, either it's one of two things. It is either fakery or it's a demonic spirit that leads people to do those kinds of things. Now, what happens here is that people have fallen prey to all different kinds of false teachings in that movement. These are the very same people that have long histories of financial shenanigans and and thievery that goes on in the churches. When you upset God's order, there will be trouble. Now, at Berean, I'll say it again. We're going to stick to the Bible on this. Here's what 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35 say. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in a church, in the church. That, the Bible said that, didn't it? It's on the screen. If you don't trust the screen, take your Bible and look up that scripture right there. Because I didn't misquote it. This is exactly what the Bible says. Maybe you don't like that. But that's what the Bible says. So what parts of the Bible do you believe? Do you believe Paul on substitutionary atonement? Do you believe Paul on justification? Do you believe Paul on imputation? Do you believe Paul on eternal security and perseverance and all those things? Do you believe him on that? Then why don't you believe him on this? When you upset God's authority in the church, there are serious problems. Now, the Bible does not say that a woman is inferior to the man. But the Bible does say that a woman is not to take the place of the man. She's not to take his God-given role in the church. A woman doesn't have a right to it. Now, let me give you two points and we've done quickly here and we'll be done. The wife is submissive because Christ was submissive. Now, I mentioned this in the last message, so we're not going to belabor this point. But Christ willingly submitted himself to the Father in order to do his redemptive work. This was a voluntary thing for Christ to do. He carried out God's plan. Jesus had to go to the cross. He was willing to do that. And he said to the father, I'm willing to do this. You can send me. Now, someone might ask then, well, what about this gifted, educated, career minded woman who is obviously the intellectual equal to her husband? Does she have to be in submission does God say that that kind of woman needs to be in submission? Now, surely Paul does not mean that that woman is to take a subordinate role to her husband. Well, let's look at the example of Christ. He was the father's equal, wasn't he? He was the father's equal. And yet Jesus being Jehovah God, the scriptures tell us he willingly took a subordinate place to his father in order to go to the cross. He subjected himself. Now, the wife's role that we've been talking about, that is God's plan. This is what glorifies God. And if Christ has given us an example to follow, then we ought to follow his example. Many times I've used the scripture about uh, Jesus washing the disciples feet. Jesus was clearly superior to the disciples, wasn't he? But Jesus took on the role of a servant. He subjected himself and he took on that role of submission in order to teach his disciples something. In John 13, verses 15 and 16, he says, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Now, I would very simply say to you on this subject, ladies, you are not greater than, Than the Lord. And if Jesus was willing to be in submission because that was the Father's will, then I can tell you that you need to be in submission because that is the Father's will. You're not greater than the Lord. Now, finally, this is also a church principle because Christ is the preserver of the body. The wife submits herself to her husband because he is her Savior. Wow, does that blow your mind? What do you mean? The 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 husband is the savior of the wife. Or well, what could that possibly mean? Look here at verse number 23, Ephesians chapter 5. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Once you look very closely at that word savior, because what it means in this verse, it's not talking about Salvation from our personal sins, in the sense that Paul is using it here, the word "savior" means the preserver, and Paul uses that same word "savior" similarly in First Timothy four, verse number ten. There he writes, "For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe." Now, there are some people who would want to look at this verse and. And they see that thing up there who is the savior of all men, especially of those that believe. And they immediately say, all right, there you have it. There's your universal atonement. The Bible speaks of universal atonement or that the sacrifice of Christ was an equal sacrifice for all men without exception. Well, the problem is if if the Bible here is talking about atonement, then that second phrase there at the end or the last phrase, especially those that believe would make absolutely no sense. He couldn't be talking about atonement here. So he has to be talking about something else. And whatever he's talking about, he's showing us that there is an equal benefit for all men and especially those that believe. Can you see that? So there's two things going on here. He's talking about two different groups of people here. All men and especially those that believe. So everybody's receiving some benefit from the Lord. Well, what Paul is talking about here is the idea of common grace. The Bible says that God sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. And so whether you're saved or whether you're lost, everybody receives something at the hand of God. We all receive good things at the hand of God. God is the one, Paul says, who gives life and breath and all things. So in First Timothy... Chapter 4, verse number 10, Savior there means that Christ is the preserver of all men. He gives all men life and breath and all things, but especially he is the preserver of those that believe. And I think we understand that. I mean, there's a special relationship he has with people who trust him. Well, this is what the husband is for the wife. The husband is his wife's protector, and he is her preserver. And if he's the one who's protecting her then she should be willing to give him the right kind of submission. So what we see here then is that submission is a godly principle. It is a Christian principle. It's a creative principle. And it's a church principle. And if this is taught in the scripture, we have something here that we ought to obey. And a woman who wants to be filled with the spirit, she will gladly, gladly yield herself in this God-given role of submission To her husband. So here's what happens. When you do this, it glorifies God. And even if you don't understand it, and maybe if you don't like it, you'll learn to like it when you do it. And especially when your husband's what he's supposed to be, you'll learn to like it when you do it because it glorifies God and it's also for your good. Submission is a principle that needs to be put into play when we talk about submission of the wife to her husband needs to be put into play when we talk about the filling of the Spirit and how that's demonstrated in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the things that we learn from your Word. There are reasons that you give these things to us. You have a plan and purpose for everything that you do. And, Lord, we just accept that you're always right, whether we understand it or not. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a people that would be submissive to one another in the godly ways that you tell us to be, the wives to her hus- their husbands, and then, Lord, to all the different authorities and powers that you've given us on this earth that you've delegated. Help us to be submissive people. Speak to our hearts tonight, Lord, lift us up as we sing this invitation hymn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's please